Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from former Michigan goalie Al Montoya. He was the first Cuban-American to play in the NHL, and he'll tell us about the future of Hispanic and Latino hockey. But first, Ted, the Red Wings' home opener is tonight against a two-time defending champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. And you've been previewing the NHL season at DetroitNews.com. You've got the Islanders winning the cup after coming oh so close the last two years, losing in the final four against Steve Eiserman's old team, the Lightning. Eiserman's new team tonight, they feature two ex-Islanders, defenseman Nick Letty and goalie Thomas Grice. They also have two former Tampa Bay forwards, Adam Ernie and Mitchell Stevens. This year, though, Ted, there's no Luke Glenn Denning, Darren Helm, Valtteri Filppula, no Franz Nielsen, no Anthony Mantha, no Jacob Verana, who is injured. But there's a couple of rookies, Maurice Sider and Lucas Raymond, a new goalie, Alex Nadelkovich, bigger roles for Michael Rasmussen and Pugh Suter. So as the Wings get set for this four-game homestand against the Lightning Canucks, Blue Jackets, and Flames next Thursday, is there a path, Ted, to an 82-point season, 82 points in 82 games, or are they destined to be stuck in that 70-point range out of the playoffs for the sixth straight year and probably in the lottery for Shane Wright? All right, Mark, before we start, you're not going to get off easy. What's your prediction for the final? I would probably just take the lightning again, even though it's a long shot and the depth isn't uh, as strong as it was. But that's interesting. Why do you go with Tampa Bay? Why do you? I, I, obviously, they the <laughs> talent, the elite talent they have is still remarkable, and I I think they can. I just think, Mark, that the odds. I mean, just yeah. four yeah. more rounds of playoffs i mean the 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 load of hockey's i would think would wear on them somewhere along the line keep an eye on florida i okay. think florida okay. has i don't know what you think but i think florida has as good a roster they might be my second choice overall after the island i think florida has a good as long as they can just somewhat settle down that goaltending position if Bobrovsky can come back to form or Okay. Expected Spencer Knight kind of comes to fruition and really plays up to his potential. I really like that Florida team. And obviously, look, obviously Tampa Bay is a threat. I mean, I w- would I be shocked if Tampa Bay three-peats? Not really obvious. I mean, they have some el- the elite talent they have is just mm-hmm. boggling. But, boy, losing that third line in its entirety, that's, that's going to be difficult to overcome plus just the amount of hockey they've played. I mean, it's got to wear you down eventually, I would think. Back to the Red Wings, Ted. Can they get to 82 points? We've already said it's unlikely they'll play 500 hockey. They've been like eight to 10 games under 500. That would be a big leap, 82 points Mm -hmm. in 82 games. No, I think what – I've seen a lot of Vegas lines that say, what, about – the over-under is about 76.5. I am going to say just slightly under. I'm thinking just slightly under. Okay. Five, 75, 74. How about yourself? Well, that can be a good season too, right? Yeah, yeah it is. I mean, I, it, it really could be. At all. 
Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? I mean, are you saying you thinking low seventies or upper seventies? Yeah, I think you're. You know what? Vegas is normally right on, right? Unless there's a, a major surprise. I mean, there's the, the wings could also bottom out if there's injuries and if the oh yeah, that, be- Mark, that very easy because I still sure add a whole lot of depth there. I really don't think there's a ton of depth if if injuries really start taking hold. I think they're going to be a better team, Mark. I I, I do. But there's still some gaping holes. I mean, or it's big time question marks, at least. You really do wonder about the offense, where it's going to come from. I'm not the goaltending. I'm, but I'll be interested to see how that unfolds, Mark. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I, Nadelkovich, I mean, it's such a small, small sample size, but he looked a little unsteady in the, in the preseason. And then Thomas Grice, you just figure, you know, natural regression. I mean, at age 36, you're not really sure how that's going to go. I just, I think the goaltending was something to keep an eye on. I like the defense. I mean, I mean, Jeff Blashless praised the defense, the depth of the defense, and I agree. I think it's as deep as it's ever been. You had eight quality defensemen back there. But you still wonder where the offense is going to f- come from. Losing Verona for four months, that's a tough, tough mm-hmm. We'll see how the rookies play. I mean, Ward Sider and Lucas Raymond. I mean, that's if they have rookie or the year Calder Trophy caliber seasons, that'll help too, obviously. But uh, just playing in that division too, Mark. I mean, let's face it, that's a powerhouse division, and you don't see them earning a lot of points in that division. Ted, in today's paper and online at DetroitNews.com, Wojo wrote a column on these new look Red Wings. He said they're trying to write their own history and that they're due for a little luck and a possible bigger leap in the standings. Here's Wojo's question to Jeff Blaschel the other day about what fans can expect from these 2021-22 Red Wings. Hey there, Jeff. Um, Curious, obviously your team seems deeper and obviously it's younger. Um, Do you have a clear grasp of where you think it's overall improved? What area? Uh, You know, I think for the... The, for the um, media that we're on yesterday, I talked about the fact that uh, uh, there's, there's in my mind, you know, zero doubt this is as deep of a decor as we've had here, um, probably since I've been uh, the head coach here. Uh, that there is, I don't think, any doubt. Um, you know, I think we've got uh, eight defensemen that, that have either proven on a regular basis or in a case like Cider uh, and, and maybe Lindstrom, you know, we totally believe are uh, NHL defensemen. So in um, some guys that have, you know, uh, been top four, I think have potential to be, you know, top four. So um, I don't think there's any doubt that we have an opportunity to have a, a, a real good decor. Um, I think, you know, we're, I, I, I think, our goaltending, we had two guys that were pretty established last year and did a good job with us. And I think we can have the same this year. Can it be better? That's up for, for, for those guys to go out and, and play at an elite level and the same thing up front. You know, I think um, how good are we up front? Can we, can we score a lot more? How talented are we? It just depends on how, uh, how guys play. Um, you know, certainly Jacob Veron is a guy who we, you know, we were going to count on to score a lot of goals and, and he's, not with us for four months, but that doesn't mean other guys can't. So, you know, I, I think, well, Joe, to, to answer your question, I think we're, we're, you know, I've said this lots of organization. I think we're heading the right direction. Um, how much better will we be? Uh, how quickly? I can't answer that because, as I said, it's up really to the development of players or, or the, I guess I should say just as much the execution of players. 
Ted, we mentioned some of the uh, players earlier in the podcast. Tonight's lineup includes the first line, Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Raymond. Fabry, Suter, and Zadina, one of the smallest second lines in the game. The third line, potentially Rasmussen, Ernie, and Nemesnikov. The fourth line, Rowney, Stevens, and Gagne. And then back on defense to Kaiser and Ronick paired, Letty and Sider, Stahl and Lidstrom perhaps, as well as Stetcher and Osterley and coach Jeff Lashless. It was one of the deepest blue lines that he's had before. And of course, Adelkovich and Grice in goal with Verona out with the injury. What intrigues you about some of those lines or defensive pairings, Ted, as we head into that game tonight, the opener against Tampa Bay? Mark, I really do like that second line. I mean, mm-hmm. preseason, they've looked awfully good. I think one player who looks like he's poised for a uh, I don't want to say comeback year, but just a good big year is Robbie Fabry. He looked very good in the preseason. Pius Suter looked like he's going to be a nice addition, really nice addition. He played well in Chicago last year. Um, looks like he could really help this team now. Uh, the first line, let's face it, I mean, who knows how what the potential of that first line is, that Larkin, Bertuzzi, mm-hmm. um, Lucas Raymond. I mean, that has all all kinds of potential. So, I mean, like we talked about before, you wonder where the offense is going to come from. Maybe those top two lines really bring it every night and, you know, replay to their potential. But, yeah, that's the strength of this team is the defense. I mean, it's – like we said, they have eight NHL-caliber defensemen who could probably play for any team in the league. Uh They've never had that. I mean, you 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 wonder you you see where this defense was just a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. They've done a nice job of revamping it and adding much more depth and quality. So it's a good roster. I think. Well, it's a better roster for sure than it's been the last few years. How far they'll go, it's going to be interesting and fun to un- watch here these next five or six months or so. We'll be back to hear from Captain Dylan Larkin, but first, here's our interview segment with former Michigan Wolverines goalie Al Montoya. Joining us now is Al Montoya, the former Michigan goaltender, the first Cuban-American in the NHL, and the new director of community outreach for the Dallas Stars. Al, welcome to the podcast. It's Hispanic Heritage Month in the NHL, wrapping up October the 15th, and here in Michigan, Hispanics or Latinos make up about 5% of the population, and about 140 young Latin American kids in southwest Detroit signed up to learn how to play hockey last year, and that's up substantially for the previous years. There's also a prospect we were talking about with the Red Wings of Cuban descent, Donovan Sobrango, whose father, Eduardo Sobrango, played for the Cuban national soccer team and also with Montreal and Vancouver in the MLS. So, Al, what strides have you seen in the world of hockey since the days when you were the first Spanish-speaking player in the NHL, and even going back further to when you were a freshman at Michigan in 2003? How are things different now from back then? Yeah, honestly, the game is growing, and Mm -hmm. and we always talk about the the growth of the game. It makes business sense, right? And if you really want to grow in this country now, in anything you're doing, you need Latinos to do that. And it's it really is a beautiful thing whether it's austin matthews being you know his mother being uh of mexican descent or myself here now in the front office and other players of hispanic heritage scattered throughout the nhl i keep talking about the importance of representation and and Mm -hmm. kids being able to see themselves whether that's in on the ice or 
in the front office and and we are seeing those changes and I think it's 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 the most beautiful game on earth and that should be shared by everybody. Al, what were your years like in Michigan from 2003-2005? On the ice, you won 86 games in those three years with a 2.36 goals against average and a .908 save percentage. And you were also part of that first U.S. junior team to win a gold medal at the 2004 Worlds in Finland. Off the ice, though, what was it like that first year at Michigan? You were 17 years old, probably the only Spanish-speaking hockey player on the team. You would have had a great mentor there and Coach Red Berenson, the first Canadian-born player to go directly from American College to the NHL. What were some highlights at Michigan? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it right on the head there. Mm -hmm. Being a 17-year-old hockey player, you know, I, I remember being at the development program that was also in Ann Arbor and thinking, how the heck am I ever going to stop a Mike Commissaric shot to going at the end of my freshman year, helping the team go all the way to a Frozen Four. So mm-hmm. this school, Michigan, is and will always be my second home. I love it so much that I'm still enrolled in school there and I'm finishing up my senior year. Um, it, the school really embraced me, really allowed me to develop into the person that I became and I I can't say enough great things about it and I always try to get back there I even have my kids you know singing the the Victor song every now and then. (laughs) Al how about your NHL years you were a first round draft pick in 2004 sixth overall but you started your career in the minors behind Henrik Lundqvist and you also backed up Carey Price and Roberto Luongo probably three future Hall of Famers there you're Numbers were actually really good. Nine years, 168 games. Your first game in 2009 was that shutout against uh, Colorado. You were playing for Wayne Gretzky's Coyotes. Overall, 67 wins, 49 losses, 24 ties, a 2.65 goals against average. Your save percentage was the same as it was at Michigan, 0.908. And you played for the Coyotes, Islanders, Jets, Panthers, Canadians, and Oilers. So, what lessons, uh, Al, did you learn about developing into a number one goalie, especially goalies that are taken so high in the draft? You were number six. Rick DiPietro was number one. Carey Price now, uh, Carey Price was number five. Nowadays, goalies aren't taken that high, right? The Red Wings took the first goalie in the draft last year, and that was number fifteen for the Edmonton goalie, six foot six inch Sebastian Kosa. What do you make then of the trend of goaltenders maybe not taken as high as you were? And has that affected the development, do you think, of goalies now? You know what? I, I was always a really good athlete. And I think that's why I got drafted where I did, right? Mm-hmm. It, it didn't matter if you were a forward or a defenseman or a goaltender. They, they tend to take the best player available. And what do they mean by that? I think it's the best athlete. And there's times in my career when I was young that I thought I should have been in the NHL right away. And then you know, you, you realize that it's not a spring. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't grow up in this hockey family. I was raised by my mother, mm-hmm. who was a Cuban refugee who came here in 1963 when she was 15 years old. So there was no lineage. There was no path for me to follow. I didn't, you know, where, where other players or other colleagues of mine that they kind of knew what it was like. They had a good support system in the hockey world. And I'm, for me, other than my agent and my advisor, Kurt Overhart and Ian Barkley, it, I, I was really, you know, I also, there was Marty Turco. There were good people that I had, but I had to learn on my own. And, mm-hmm. and how we spoke about earlier, how representation does matter. When you're this 
Spanish-speaking player looking up in this hockey world, there's no one like you, whether it's a GM, whether it's someone in the front office. I think those things go a long way. Mm -hmm. Would my career have looked different? Maybe, maybe not. But I always do go back to that. I I was blessed to have the career I did. Um, I do say you have to get lucky. You know, there's there was several opportunities that I thought I didn't have any luck and maybe I didn't get my chance. But to get the chances I did to not be injured when I when I did get my chance, so many things have to go right and you have to run with it when that when those times go right. So I, I no regrets in my career. I, mm-hmm. what, a, what a wonderful game I had. Uh, I was able to play for as long as I did the relationships that I was able to make. And I still think. We all know the goalie is the most important position. Look at what the Rangers did with Lundqvist. And, you know, it didn't matter what kind of team they had because he was going to bail them out. And if you find those special goalies, I think it's, it's, it's more knowing which players are those guys and not being so scared to draft them so high. Okay. And then developing them as you go. Now, Al, after retiring from hockey, you took what you called a spiritual and emotional trip to Cuba, the first in your family to return since 1963. You just mentioned your mother being a Cuban refugee. You've talked about your family's work ethic and pride in your culture. Your mom raised four boys while earning a medical degree. Your grandparents were landowners in Cuba, but your grandfather picked strawberries in the fields and worked at McDonald's. Can you tell us, Al, about the pride you have in your Latin American background? It's come through already and how that has shaped your next chapter in life. Yeah, I, I just hearing it gives me chills. It takes me back, you know, to the time my grandparents were around. And as a kid, you, you just grow up like any other kid. You love your family, not really knowing how you got to where you got or how you had that roof over your head. And as you grow older, you start to ask these questions and you find this out along the way, you know, it, it's they dropped everything. My grandfather was 45 years old when he came to this country. And mm-hmm. I say it time and time again, he left it all behind for his grandchildren that he hadn't even met yet. You know, his family had been in Cuba for 500 years and it, these aren't easy things. So the one thing they always said is, you know, they can take away communism can take away everything that we own, every material that we own, but they can't take away our education and how grateful they were for this country and to give them their freedom and, this is something that for whatever reason it was, wait, maybe it was my mother going to work every single day so I could play hockey or my brothers could play sport or we could mm-hmm. have every single thing imaginable. I think it's part of the, the Hispanic Latino culture coming from that. I mean, but it's the American culture that we are sure. sons of immigrants, right? Sons and daughters of immigrants that fled or left their country to give their kids a better life. And this story is no different. And, and it's the same reason I'm back at school finishing my degree, because those are things that are important that, are, that make a generational difference. And I, I want my kids to see me with that same work ethic, that same level of determination to go back to school and so they can do it and they can keep it going. Al, thanks for your time so far. Uh, just a couple of more questions about your current job as Director of Community Outreach in Dallas. Dallas is a city with more than 40% of people of Hispanic descent. Here, as we said from the outset, Michigan is at 5%, Detroit around 7 to 8%. So how do you measure success then? And why is it so difficult sometimes to feel like you're making progress? I mentioned earlier, Al, I talked to a person in a role like yours, Anthony Benavides. 
He's a director of the Clark Park Coalition. It's a nonprofit organization. They provide like recreational, educational, and social skills in Southwest Detroit, which is a predominant home for Hispanic families. They've had successes in sports. The high school baseball team out across the street at Western High School, they've won 15 baseball titles in 16 years. That baseball field has been refurbished by Miguel Cabrera. The outdoor hockey rink has been upgraded. The Red Wings bought a Zamboni. They're outfitting teams this year. But Anthony is 63 years old now. He's looking for a succession plan and wants to make sure the young kids in the area who are used to playing baseball and soccer also get exposed to hockey. So, so I guess my question is, Al, it's not a really easy job, is it, to measure how successful you are. There are wins and losses. But can you sort of relate to what Anthony has done and how he's sort of passing the torch to, to younger generations, even like yourself in a different part of the United States? Yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. I, this game that we play, I think it's, it's Caucasian dominated, right? It's 94% Caucasian. And for better or worse, it, it, we need to grow the game, right? And there's days in the office that, you know, I've talked, spoken to other minorities in this sport that are like, well, why am I doing this? Or what am I making any kind of change? And my, my thought to them is always people like us didn't exist in these places before. Mm -hmm. The opportunity to grow and develop as children in minority, as minorities in sport is so important. I always talk about if I didn't have sport, I wouldn't have been become the person or adult that I did become, the father that I became. And I really do believe that every kid should have opportunity in sport for that same reason. And there are little wins every single day. And you can't really, you can't really look for that fast win or throwing money at something. And mm -hmm. it's about consistency and it's about being in the community. And at the end of the day, it's being there for the kids because this, like I said, it is the best sport in the world. And if we can be there and if we can be consistent, you will see those small gains and and maybe and maybe in a few years there'll be more minorities in the front office or more minorities on the ice. It's just it's it's just sport really allows you to connect and assimilate and feel a part of this country or whatever whatever mm -hmm. you're trying to connect to. Al, right from the outset, you mentioned that the NHL has a growing number of Hispanic role models. Austin Matthews, the number one overall pick. Bill Guerin is the GM of the Minnesota Wild. You were the first Cuban American in the NHL. Where are we now, though, in terms of Latino growth and exposure to the game, say, compared to when Willie O'Ree and the black community, where they were years ago, when he faced racism with few role models, you said you faced few racist incidents in your career, Al, but there were enough incidents going back to when you would ask your mom what certain words meant. There were enough incidents to cause concern about the players you played against and even the media and how they've referred to your Hispanic roots. We just documented a racism story today at DetroitNews.com. Our columnist, John Neo, talked to Detroit's Jalen Smirk about a racist gesture towards Smirk in the Ukraine. So is it difficult to put those incidents behind you? Coming from these underrepresented communities, there were programs that, because of what Willie O'Ree did, mm -hmm. took steps to include everybody. And people like Willie O'Ree really paved the way for us. You know, for better or worse, he was able to open doors for so many people in so many underrepresented communities. And 
you know, coming from Hispanic background, Hispanic family, Latino family, hockey was never on our radar, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I talk about it all the time. We had a, my, my grandparents probably had a hard time keeping ice frozen in Cuba. So what is it about hockey that once you become an, uh, an American or a North American, it's, it's that chance to assimilate, that chance to throw on New Jersey. And that's really what sport allows you to do. And it, it, it allows us to get together as a, you know, that Hispanic culture, there's nothing more than we'd like to do is get together and celebrate. And, and then if you want to go and touch on those, those barriers mm -hmm. or, or those times that I talk about, you know, that were 1% of my career, the other 99% of my, my playing life was just filled with endless dreams and memories. But those, you know, those odd times where people really were ignorant or didn't really understand. So they went out and, and tried to put me down. I think you do have to tell stories at times to break those barriers. And it is on me and, and players mm -hmm. like myself and other minorities that have gone through it because we always talk about why aren't there more minorities in sports or why are, you know, why does everybody look the same? I think because when you're growing up as a child, you, you, you have to figure out or you have to either deal with it or you get the heck out of the sport. If, if the sport's not welcoming you between like six and 14 years old. So if we can tell more of these stories and, and if we can be present as minorities in sport and, and not have these kids develop such calluses like we had to, I think it will only grow the sport. And like I said, it, it, the endless memories that this sport has given me and the opportunities that it has and the friends and network that I have created, it's just, it, it is for everybody. And I just want to, I keep pushing it forward. Al, once again, I want to thank you for your time and telling us about your role in NHL history, your family's influence on your hockey and current career, the strides you've made and the strides you'll continue to make with many of these children between the ages of 6 and 14 who you're reaching out to in the Dallas community. All the best from all of us here on the podcast. Can't thank you enough, Mark. This is, it's been a treat, and I, like I said, Michigan's my second home, so anytime. Our thanks again to our guest, Al Montoya. You know, Ted, you talked to Jeff Blaschel about the expectations for Captain Dylan Larkin. First, here's the coach, and then Dylan Larkin talking about this upcoming season. Hey, Jeff, what do you want to see, or what do you need to see out of Dylan, Lark Dylan Larkin this season? I mean, you didn't seem overly concerned or anything like that last season with the dip in the point. Um expect that to come back here this season or what do you need to see from Dylan or want to see? Well, I'd start by saying I don't judge Dylan on points. Um, okay. Now, certainly production matters. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all, but I don't go on a night-to-night -night basis and, you know, or even a 10-game segment necessarily say, you know, that, that um, well, your points are low, so you're not playing well. I judge him on a lot more things than that, and, um, uh, you know, even even things like scoring chances. So, so I'm not to say not that to say you're that. good – plays and your bad plays don't matter but um there's there's you know points can can be fleeting and i think it's really tricky to judge people on just that um you know what do i want to see out of dylan larkin um i think when dylan's at his best 
Uh, he's skating number one. You, you know, everybody knows he's on the ice because of how much he's skating and attacking the game. Um, I think he's winning puck battles with his body. He's got that strong lower base that that he finds ways to win tons of puck battles. And I think he's coming back and he's doing a good job defensively and, and, and able to play against anybody he faces, including the best players in the world. Um, I would probably add one more element that he, along with a whole bunch of guys, have to be better in the power play. So, um, you know, that, that's what I want to see, number one. I think Dylan uh, is, is, a, is a really good leader. Um, who's just going to do that naturally. And I think the most important thing is that he takes care of, of his game and, and plays at a high level. Dylan, I mean, going back to Cider and Raymond for a second, I mean, what advice would you give them heading into this thing? I mean, making it out of camp like that and, you know, maybe not having to go to GR or whatever. I, mean, I remember you did the same thing and there was always speculation that maybe you would go into GR and stuff. I mean, is this a, how big of a step is it to go straight into the NHL like that? No. Um, you know what? They're they're talented players. Uh, they they are skilled. They're uh, workers. They they make plays and they're they're responsible. You know, I think uh, much more than I was when I came in. And and uh, you see it being on the ice with them. You see them practice. And you know, my advice. I think there there's a role. There's an opportunity to to grab something here. And and you know, they understand that. And and you know, they're humble kids. They're they're confident, but they're not cocky, and and, uh, and they're going to be a huge part of this team. So uh, whether it's now or, or or later, or or you know if it's now, it's great. And, and but they know that, and and uh, you know they're every night you have to bring it. That's that's my advice, and and that you have to understand the the role that that uh, that could be grabbed. So Ted, you've watched most of Dylan Larkin's 433 career games from his first goal on opening night six years ago to being named captain and providing leadership on and off the ice. And this could be a very rewarding season for Larkin if the team stays in playoff contention for a while, if the power play improves, if the top line shuts down the other team's top line, and if he contributes the odd goal or two as he's done in the past. What's next, though, for Larkin coming off that neck injury? He really does seem intent, Mark, on rebounding offensively. I mean, let's face it, that was not a great offensive season by any stretch of the imagination last year. But I think there were reasons. I mean, obviously, the whole Bertuzzi-Mantha-Larkin line just disintegrated over time. And then he had a, a wave of line mates, just didn't find chemistry. That he seemed to play hurt. I mean, obviously at the end he he had the injury, but it just seemed maybe the season wore him down a little bit too. It was such an awkward type season with the with the virus and just the restrictions and all. I'll be curious to see. I I do. I think there is optimism that he could really take off this season and play up to the numbers where he had his rookie and first couple of seasons, that type of production. I think there's a potential there. I mean, with Raymond and Bertuzzi back in the fold, there's people there that he could play with, and I think they could produce. I think the power play is one area where mm-hmm. I think we should be able – we should watch because I think him and Raymond seem to have good chemistry there in that regard. So I, I do think there's optimism. I think you're going to see – well, I can Larkin get back to that production where we were used to the first couple seasons, and if that's the case, I mean, 
You're talking about he could be one of the better players in the league because I think from a defensive standpoint, he really has progressed the last couple of seasons. He's just fine on the other end. Just last season, for whatever reason, the offense did dip. But I think there's reason for optimism to see it climb back up. And again, our listeners can look at that story today in the newspaper and online at DetroitNews.com. And finally, Ted, let's hear now from Lucas Raymond. You just mentioned him. He's just 19 years old. He'll be playing up on that top line with Larkin and Bertuzzi. Here he is talking to you about his expectations heading into camp. Were you mentally ready to go to Grand Rapids this season? The way, I mean, obviously it worked out the way it did, but it seemed like at the start of camp and whatnot, in the way the organization usually does things with younger players, were you kind of mentally ready to start there if you had to? Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, but I think going into camp, my mindset was that I would do everything to, to make the team and try to block everything else out. Uh, but then, of course, you always prepare what happened if you don't. Uh, and uh, if that would have been the case, I would have been ready for that as well. But uh, my, my main focus and main goal was was to make the team. Seemed like you were playing with confidence right off the bat. I mean, just did playing well in that prospects tournament kind of help things along here? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you get more comfortable. You get into more and more in the tempo everything. So every game helps. Sounds good. Thanks, Lucas. No problem. Ted, Raymond's first three games were better than his uh, last three games. In the third game against that full squad Chicago Blackhawks team, he scored that power play goal against Vesna Trophy winner Marc-Andre Fleury, tying the game 4-4 after they fell behind 3-0 in the first period. The Blackhawks then scored the winner when Wyatt Newpower turned the puck over, trying to pass the puck over to Donovan Sobrango. I talked to Donovan the other night. I didn't mention that play. It was a turnover, and it was a mistake that the Red Wings, most teams aren't always playing their best lineup. So that's kind of typical of exhibition hockey. But we don't see too many mistakes from Raymond, do we? He's probably one of the best-looking two-way players since probably since Larkin, right, made the team. And this will be actually Larkin's seventh uh, opening night with the Red Wings. I agree, totally agree with you, Mark. What you said there. I mean, he mm-hmm. does. There are there are some similarities to him, even on the ice. I mean, it's, they're both so responsible and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the wrist shot. I mean, he's he's got a nice, accurate, strong shot too. A very heady player. Was I surprised he made the opening right roster? I was. Yep. Somewhat surprised. I'll be. I'll admit it. I thought they'd go with Bobby Ryan there keep Bobby Ryan in that spot but let's face it the the kid earned it he flat out earned it so good for him bully for him I mean he played really well I don't think he's going to be out of place Uh, he has to keep it going though I mean obviously he made the roster but now he's got to keep up with the production and playing well but uh, I think they have a good player there I really do and then same thing with Moritz Sider I mean obviously we heard all the hype letting in getting into this season but He looks like he's the type of player that could be a cornerstone for a long time. Ted, thanks again for your time today, and that'll do it for Episode 60. For more Red Wings coverage, your stories, and earlier podcasts are on our website at DetroitNews.com, also on our Octopulse Facebook page, on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram Stories, and Snapchat. We also have a special subscription offer, $1 for six months. You'll get our subscriber-only stories online, 
as well as our e-edition, which is really just a digital replica of the print edition. Also, if you get a chance, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. 